0: Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I count not myself to have laid hold of this, but one thing I do, I'm going to forget the past, ignore the present, and stretch forth to those things are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus.
1: Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to The Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed, Dr. Mitchell looks at verses 10 through 13 of Philippians chapter 3 here on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast. The purpose of having the righteousness of Christ by faith is to know Christ. Jesus prays in John 17, 3, that we may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. And again in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, The Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. The Lord has made every provision for knowing Him, the only true God. So Dr. Mitchell goes on to speak of Paul's attitude during this Christian life in Christ. So join us here, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10.
0: In chapter 3, here's a man with a tremendous passion. And that passion was Christ. And we've been following it through from the first verse right on down through verse 10. We've been dealing with this. Paul counted everything but loss just to win Christ, just to know Christ, to be found in him righteous. And if I may go to verse 10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from among the dead. Now in our last lesson we were discussing, especially toward the end of the lesson, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection from among the dead. Now, here is an intimacy that I may know him. I'm not going to, to press, the, press it again as I did in the last lesson, except to say a great many people know about the Savior. But comparatively speaking, so few really know him. Or to live with him is to know him. He's talking about an intimacy, a fellowship with the Savior. And how many of us have been sidetracked by good things which has robbed us of the intimacy of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to know him and the power of his resurrection, that resurrection, that that power that raised the Lord Jesus from the dead and set him at his own right hand. Resurrection power which already lives in the believer but needs to be experienced by the believer. You see, allow me to quote again from Romans 8.11, If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also make alive your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. And then I said also, you can't separate the power of His resurrection from the fellowship of his suffering. If I know the power of his resurrection, I will also experience the fellowship of his suffering. Remember, Paul spoke of this to the Colossian church, that he might fill up that which was left behind of the sufferings of Christ. When we get to Colossians, we'll speak more to that point. Just to say this, that the more you know the Savior, in your own experience, the more you walk with Him, fellowship with Him, the possibility is you may have to walk alone. Oftentimes you will be misunderstood. And yet, my friend, there is no life comparable. There's no such thing as a spiritual life experienced in the heart of a Christian except that life, fellowship with the Savior. And out of that fellowship comes your service. Out of that fellowship comes the experience of his power. Out of that fellowship, you get the, that which you need is your fellowship with him and his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. You see, what do you mean by that? To be made conformable unto his death. Well, supposing... Supposing I read a verse or quote to you from 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Do you remember those verses where Paul says, The love of Christ overmasters me, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all that they would live should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth, Know we know man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, from now on know we him no more. Any man be in Christ, in this risen, glorified Christ, is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. The love of Christ overmasters me, says Paul. Why? Because my past history as a sinner come to an end. When God looked down upon you and me, we were so bad, so sinful. And Jesus Christ took your place in my place. Jesus Christ had to die. A terrible death on the cross. He became an accursed thing. But he took your place. But he took my place. You know how bad I was in God's sight? I was so bad. It took nothing short of the death of the holy, righteous Son of God. To atone for my sin, to put away my sin, to satisfy God for me. Do you ever think of it? All oh, no one of this man said, I want to know I count everything but lost to know him. I'm willing to suffer with him and for him. I want to be made conformable unto his death. I want to recognize the fact that my life as a sinner come to an end. Now, that doesn't mean I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fail God. But I mean by that, if any man be in this risen, glorified Christ, he is a new creation. God didn't patch the old up. God didn't give the old the power to live a new life. God didn't patch up the flesh and make it religious and good. No, no, no. God gave us a new life. He made us new creatures. True, I'm living in a body that's not redeemed. True, I'm living in a body that has desires, etc. But nevertheless, I have a new life. And the Spirit of God indwells, not only me, but every real believer in Christ. That's why he calls us saints, holy ones, set apart for God. One of these days, these bodies are going to be raised and changed and fashioned like unto his glorious body. But as long as I'm living in this body, frailty, weakness and failure, the Spirit of God indwells. This body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit, which each one of us who love the Savior, we have it of God. As our Lord said to his disciples, the Spirit of God is with you and he shall be in you. And he's in every believer to grant us, deliver us from the power of sin. At the cross, we were delivered from the guilt and penalty of sin. The Spirit of God is in us to give us victory over sin. And how glad I am. We're not left to our own resources. The Spirit of God indwells us. This is what Paul means, being made conformable unto his death, to recognize all that we were in the old has been put away at the cross. When new men, when new women in Christ. You say again, I repeat it. This new life in Christ is simply a supernatural, wonderful life. It's the life of Christ Himself living in and through His people. This is for you, my brother. It's for you, my sister. But Mr. Mitchell, you don't know how weak I am. No, I don't. But God knows how weak you are. In fact, he knows you better than you know yourself. That's why the Spirit of God came to indwell you, that he might live out the life of Christ through you. Now, you can get something to the passion of this man, Paul. I count everything but loss, everything but the refuse of the street, the good things as the refuse of the street, just to know him intimately. Fellowship with his suffering. That resurrection power, I can only suffer for and with Christ by resurrection power and being made conformable unto his death. To recognize my union with Christ, not only in his death and and resurrection, but to enjoy his present life as I live among men today. So he goes on to say, starting in at verse 11, and running through verse 14, you have this you have this man's real, real passion for God. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing thing when we come to this. Listen to these two verses. Verses 11 and 12. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, or can I change the wording? The resurrection from among the dead. Not as though I had already attained... Or were already perfect. Of course not. He was still on earth. But I follow after, I chase after, if I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Now, here is Paul's real passion. See, this is his prize, this is his goal. And how can I reach it? If by any means, any means I might attain the resurrection from among the dead. Now, Paul is not teaching here physical resurrection. Paul knew about that. Paul had written about that. He can't turn to First Corinthians chapter 15 without knowing. Paul knew about the physical resurrection. Paul knew about the fact that he was going to be raised from the dead and glorified. In fact, in this same chapter... When you come to the end of the chapter, you find God's going to change these bodies and fashion them like unto his glorious body. Paul knew all about that. Well, what does he mean here? If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection from among the dead. It's a realization what Paul here is talking about. Even now, having the realization of his identification with Christ in a risen life, that the power, the resurrection power and life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God, might be a continual reality in his life, that everything in his life ought to be under the control of the risen Lord. Now, as I said a moment ago, Paul knew, Paul was sure about physical resurrection, But all down through the chapter, what's he talking about? Here came in false teachers who tried to take God's people and led them astray, and they gloried in their flesh. And Paul says, if they're going to glory, I can glory. So from verses 5 to 6, he gives to us his past, the things he gloried in, and all these things, these good things, he was willing to count them lost for Christ. What for? to win Christ, to be found righteous in Christ, to know Christ in a very intimate way, to know experimentally or experientially, shall I say, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection from among the dead. He would like to experience to the full all that he has in a risen Christ. He goes on to say in verse, in verse 12, not as though I had already attained, all were already perfect. But this one thing I do. See? Again, you come back to it. The passion of this man, Paul, was Christ. Every one of us have Have some aim in life? What's your aim? When our Lord was upon the earth, what was the driving force in our Lord's life? To please his Father? I do all the things that please him, he could say. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Our Lord is a man in the midst of men in complete subservience to his Father. The only thing he wanted to do was to glorify his Father. To be obedient to his father. What's the great great thing in Paul's life? The very thing the Lord laid hold of me, said he, for something. The Lord has a purpose in my life, says Paul. I haven't already attained to it. But everything is going to be subservient to this one thing. that Christ be the very center of my love, my affection, my devotion, my life my service, everything I do is going to be centered on the person of Christ. See, friend, it's a rare thing, isn't it? This is a rare thing. Now, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. I'm not asking you to be another Paul. What I'm asking you to do is to have something of the same passion that Christ Jesus might be not only the object of your faith, but of your affection and devotion. Now listen to it. As, uh, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I count not myself to have laid hold of this, but one thing I do, I'm gonna forget the past, ignore the present, and stretch forth to those things that are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, let me just stop for a few moments here. What did Christ lay hold of Paul for? When you, when you and I accepted the Savior, what did God have in mind? That's a good question, isn't it? Why did God, why should God save you? Why should God save me? Oh, you say, D- to get me to heaven. Well, that's a mere item. Why, he saved me from my sin. Wonderful, wonderful. Is that all? Well, he made me his child. Is that all? Gave me eternal life. Is that all? pronounce me righteous in Christ. Yes, is that all? Why did he do all that? You know, it's a simple, shall I say, an amazing thing. I find Christians, they've accepted the Savior, to have their sins forgiven, to become a child of God, and to get to heaven. That's about the limit of their knowledge. Why in the world should God save you and me? why should he save me? He's got some purpose in it. Certainly, God's going to have a people in heaven. I know that. And I'm going to be there. You sure about that? Yes, I'm sure about it. Just as sure Christ died and rose again. What did he lay hold of you for? What did he lay hold of me for? Paul says, now, I know what it is. And I'm so excited about it, says Paul. It's transformed my whole life. I haven't attained to this thing for which Christ has laid hold of me. But one thing I do. He's going to be a specialist for Christ. You see why he laid hold of me? To be conformed to his image. Now, it's true. It's true. In the purpose of God, Every child of God is going to be changed and made like the Savior. That's wonderful. All oh, you say more than that. He laid hold of me to be where he is, so that through eternity I'm going to be with the Savior. That's true, too. That's true, too. Somebody else says, oh, I know. He, he's laid hold of me and saved me for a purpose, that I might be glorified together with him. That's true, too. Is that why he saved you? Now, it's true we're going to be conformed to his image. It's true that wherever Jesus is, we're going to be. It's true we're going to be glorified together with him. In fact, He could say in John chapter 17, Father, the glory which you have given me, I have given them. Paul could say, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. One could go on Scripture and change these bodies and fashion them like his own glorious body. Get to heaven, have angels waiting on us, huh? Seeing the Lord face to face and being just like him. And that's all true. But I think Paul had something beside that in mind. What do you think he had in mind? Now, you may disagree with me. You may think all the things that I have said and said, Well, that's it. No, I think the prime the primal purpose for God saving you and me was that God might have a people in heaven who would appreciate his love, his grace, his redeeming power, and enjoy through eternity intimate, unbroken fellowship with him. Friend, listen. When God made man, he made man to have fellowship with himself. He had, he had myriads of angels. Why not be satisfied with them? No, he made man. He made man in his own image, with a mind, with a will, with affections, so on. He made you and me in his own image. Man grew in that picture. Sin came in and destroyed the whole thing. And death came in and reigned. Has God changed his purpose? No. God's going to have a people with whom he can have intimate fellowship through eternity. I think this is in Paul's mind, that I may really know him. And to know that the Lord has laid hold of you and me, what for? For the purpose of intimate, wonderful fellowship with himself, the guarantee of unbroken fellowship with the Savior through eternity. God is going to have a people will appreciate him for himself. Ah, oh, Mr. Mitchell, we'll have to be changed to do that, that's right. And he's going to change us and give us the capacity for unbroken, eternal, wonderful fellowship with God. I'm not through with this. I'm going to leave it for today. We'll continue in our next lesson. I want you to know that... You and I can have a life in Christ that's beyond the comprehension of men and beyond the comprehension of angels. God grant you and I will experience it. We will when we get to glory, but God grant we'll have a taste of it down here to experience intimate fellowship with the Savior that I may know Him in that intimate, intimate way. The Lord bless you today. For His name sake
2: tomorrow he comes for me he comes he comes tomorrow he comes for me he comes